Welcome to the Want to Learn Show. I'm your host, Frank Stapon. In this episode, I'm going to be reviewing a book by an African author. He's from Equatorial Guinea. His name is N.J. Ayuk. You probably never heard of him, but many people have because he's got a quarter of a million followers on Twitter. He's written a couple books, and he calls this book A Just Transition, Making Energy Poverty History with an Energy Mix. I can sum up the thesis of his book in six words, and I'll just quote him. Gas first, solar, and wind later. What does he mean by that? Well, Africa has a lot of natural gas. Equatorial Guinea, where he's from, has a plentiful gas and petroleum as well. And his position is, well, I know everybody's telling us Africans to go to solar and wind and skip the whole greenhouse gas emission thing that everybody else did in the world, but he's saying no. Gas is there, it's available right now, and as he points out, coal emits twice as many greenhouse gases as natural gas per unit of energy. And so it's a little bit nicer of a fuel, and there's plenty of it in Africa. We know how to use it, so we shouldn't be waiting around, and we should just use it, because energy and wealth is very correlated. The society, if you look at society a thousand years ago, we used very little energy. And of course, society was relatively poor in all general metrics that people would use. And 500 years ago, we used more energy. Started getting horsepower and all sorts of other uh, oxen and things like that. Then the Industrial Revolution came in. We had a huge increase of energy. And of course, the standards of living, people live longer and all that kind of stuff. And of course, now in the 21st century, we're using on a per capita basis more energy than we ever have. And that has been the trend over time. Every century, Homo sapiens use more energy per capita than previous Homo sapiens. And as a result, our standard of living continues to increase. Therefore, if you want a society to get rich in whatever metrics you like to use, in general, you have to give energy availability and make it available for everybody. And in Africa, there are more than 600 million people in the sub-Sahara who have no access at all to electricity. And 16% of the world currently is African. They produce only 3% of the emissions. And he says, quote, Africa has supplied oil and gas to the world while neglecting its own needs. And so his thesis is, quote, we cannot ignore the needs of millions in our zeal to prevent climate change. So this guy is not some climate change denier. He, in his book, he never really says that. His basic point is, okay, we can postpone our energy utilization, but it's going to come at a cost. It's going to impact our health. It's going to impact our education. It's going to impact our wealth. It's going to impact all sorts of things. If we don't allow ourselves to use the energy that we have access to easily right now, we shouldn't sit there and say, okay, we'll just use solar and, and wind because, well, solar and wind today, even though it's improved dramatically over the last several decades, it's still more expensive and less competitive than natural gas. And so his position is we should use the natural gas that we have now. And Africa should not be energy poor. Now, as an aside, I'm not a climate doomsday activist. 
Because you know, if you think about it, most doom and gloom apocalyptic scenarios that many environmentalists forecast are, in my opinion, overly negative. Yes, I agree the world is warming. And yes, it is primarily man-made, human-caused. However, just as the Netherlands currently thrives despite being below sea level, I believe most coastal metropolises will use technology to deal with the sea level rise. I don't think all of a sudden Miami's going to be drowning. It's going to have to do what the Netherlands is doing. Now, of course, the Netherlands itself may not be able to hold it back much longer, but all rich cities, New York, Manhattan, they're not going to drown. They're just going to have to get more clever in putting up with the sea level rise. It's going to be expensive. Same thing with farming. Currently, Canadians grow potatoes and beets and things like that and a few other things. Well, in the future, they'll be able to grow what people in Nebraska grow. And Nebraskans will maybe grow tropical fruits. So whatever people are growing is just going to shift further to the poles. So the optimal tropical stuff will shift up a little bit more to the temperate zones. The temperate stuff will go up more to the Arctic zones, etc. We're not going to starve. I think, in short, humanity will do what it's always done when it's faced any climate change. And by the way, it did about 12, 13,000 years ago when the earth warmed up dramatically. They just adapt. It's not going to be fun. I certainly wish that we could be wiser, but I don't think. Humanity doesn't have a track record of being wiser and thinking of things like 500 or 1,000 years from now or 100 years from now or anything like that. They just think of today. And so as a result, many millions and millions of people will die and certainly maybe a billion could get displaced in one way or another. But as a species, we're not going to go extinct. We're going to suffer. And of course, lots of plant and animal species will suffer. I believe that there's a sixth mass extinction going on. It's the Anthropocene, as some people have called it. But I think humans are going to come out all right. In fact, I'm, I'm 100% sure. The only reason we're going to destroy ourselves not going to be because of climate change, but because of nuclear weapons or something along those lines. In short, I'm totally fine with this idea of Africa blasting tons of natural gas into the atmosphere because you got to consume energy if you want to get rich. Another way of summing up Ayuk's idea in his book is that, well, you know, humanity is like on a ship called the Titanic and it's sinking and we're going down and we're going to be having terrible problems as we go down. And Africans on the ship are told, well, you can't drink the alcohol. That's reserved for the rest of the world. So you sit in your lower decks there and suffer while the rest of us drink some alcohol, listen to music, and have some fun as we go down in flames. And he's basically saying, the author's saying, hey, we want a bit of that alcohol too. Share it with us too. We want to blast some CO2 in the air as well and blast some of our natural gas. Why do we ship our natural gas abroad? We should be consuming it ourselves and enjoying bit of the party ourselves if we're all going to go down in flames let's let's enjoy part of the, the problem because he's not a climate denier but he thinks that the problems that come with climate change are less than the benefits of burning natural gas and so his position is well let's just burn natural gas it's not as bad as coal it's back twice as good as coal as far as the environment 
and that's his basic thesis. However, I'm giving this book one star for three basic problems. Number one, Africa is going to suffer more than any other continent from global warming, since it is already the hottest continent. Therefore, if they decide to increase greenhouse gases, they're going to be shooting themselves in the foot. And Jaya Nuke cites that gas emits half of the greenhouse gases as coal, but that's not that big of a difference. I could understand if it was like 10x less, you know, a big difference between coal and gas. But patting himself on the back and saying, well, it's only half the damage that coal does. Coal does a lot of damage. Half of a lot is still a fair amount. <laughs> and here's the other thing. Africans are growing from 1.1 billion people to 4.4 billion in this century, four times. So, of course, they're going to be using a whole lot more gas. So, yes, it's twice as good, but they're going to be using four times as much of it. As much of it. So that's one problem. And they're going to be the ones who are going to be suffering the most because Africa is right there on the equator for the most part, not far from it. It's heavily in the tropics. And those in the tropics are going to suffer the most from a warming planet. Number two, big problem that he has, is that he rightly observes that Africa is abundant in wind and solar capacity. And so Africa could lead a renewable, clean energy revolution. And just like they leapfrogged other countries that used to have landlines for telephones and they went straight to mobile, they could do the same thing and say, you know what, we don't need to do coal and natural gas. We can go straight to solar and wind and innovate on there. They innovated because they went to mobile telephone systems and wireless telephone systems. They invented mobile money and popularized it like in Mkepesa in Kenya way before anybody else. And they are using it as their mobile money banks. And they are the early adopters. They are the early innovators. They could do the same thing when it comes to wind and solar capacity. He says 40% of the winds and solar energy capacity, 40% of it is in Africa. Just one continent has for nearly half of all the energy and wind on this planet. And yet, by going the route he's advocating in his book, of saying, let's go gas first and solar and wind later, he is delaying the use of that wonderful resource they have and letting other countries innovate and get ahead. And in the end, Africans will have to buy that technology from the Chinese, from the Europeans, or from the usual suspects. And finally, the third reason I have a big problem with this book is that he has deep financial interests in the African natural gas companies. And he has, according to his own LinkedIn profile, nothing to do with wind and solar. So if I looked at his LinkedIn profile, and it says, I'm just going to quote, I mean, it's a long LinkedIn profile that he explains himself, but I'll just say a few things. Quote, Mr. Ayuk concentrates particularly on the structuring, local content, documentation, and negotiation of oil, gas, and petrochemical transactions. His clients include oil and gas producers, operators, petrochemical manufacturers, oil field service companies, and financing parties in the energy industry. He has played a key role in negotiating and documenting the purchase and sale of upstream and midstream oil and gas assets. The oil and gas publication magazine recognized him as a, quote, shrewd and street 
smart, savvy deal maker and major assets. They're basically giving him all sorts of accolades and pats on the back. He is through and through making millions and millions of dollars from oil and gas. And so I look at this book and I'm saying, okay, you're saying we need to use more oil and gas. Guess what you're going to be lining your pockets with, Mr. Person from Equatorial Guinea? So to me, he's deep in bed with the oil and gas industry. He's made millions and millions of that. And it all makes me wonder and remind myself of a wonderful quote by Upton St. Clair, who said, It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn and keep a skeptical eye whenever you read books. Find out who's writing it, what's their angle, do they have a benefit, and don't just believe everything you read and see. Just be skeptical. But at the same time, don't be crazy skeptical. Don't be stupidly skeptical. That's what people who believe in flat earths or that we never landed on the moon, they just take it to such an extreme they're skeptical about everything under the sun. You don't want to be that stupidly skeptical. But a healthy amount of skepticism is good. And you read these books, learn, and I hope you do that wherever you go. Thank you for subscribing to my podcast. And that ends this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Thank you.